Okay, I'd like us to turn now to our Sunday school section. We have been considering the, the topic of godliness in believers. And for the past uh, two weeks, we have looked at <clears throat> a couple of things. We have defined what godliness is. We have granted its nature. We say that uh, godliness is that desire to look more and more like God uh, than the world around us, than the flesh within us and the devil above us. We say that the godly man is concerned for the glory of God more than he is concerned for the glory of self. And therefore he's able to say things like godliness with contentment is great gain. They say that God so works in the lives of his people so as to make them more and more spiritually minded. And when this happens, his people become godly. Worldliness is removed from them. We say that the nature of godliness is that it is a matter of the heart. Godliness is not superficial. It's not uh, an artificial thing that we can, uh, we can have from the outside, uh, but it's not coming from the heart. Uh, the person who is described as the godly person is so from the heart. And therefore it comes out uh, in the way that he speaks the way that he carries himself, uh, his desires, his loves, his hopes, they all come from within because godliness is a matter of the heart. He said that godliness is holistic. People are not godly uh, just in their face or in their thoughts, but not their actions. Or in their actions, but not their thoughts. Godliness is a holistic thing. The godly man is a man that has been changed from the inside out. All their faculties are made godly. They may struggle with sin. They may strive against the devil. They may uh, 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 be battling daily with the world. But then all, uh, uh, all their being, the whole of their being desires to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's what the psalmist says. Because the godly person is godly in a holistic manner. And we say that godliness continues to the end. It's not a thing that, uh, uh, that begins and then stops at a certain time. That you're godly today but you're not godly tomorrow. That uh, this year you are so godly, next year you'll be an ungodly person. It's a thing that continues to the end. Now, we say that it's a fervent thing. And the fervency of it may be something that is growing, but then the godly Christian is godly through and through. And then we say that godly, godliness is, is a real thing. It's a thing that happens to, uh, it happens to exist because God exists. And so it's not a thing that uh, we imagine for ourselves that is not there. It's a thing that continues in the life of the Christian. Being 
true and right and real because God is real. And it's because at the core of godliness, as we said, is that the man who is godly, the woman who is godly, seeks the glory of God more than they seek the glory of self. God is at the center of what it means to be godly. That's why his name is right in there. Last week we began considering the characteristics of godly Christians. We gave at least three characteristics. Could you please help me remember them? What did you say are the characteristics of godly Christians? They seek to be like God. They are in the pursuit of God. Godly Christians are like the psalmist David, a man after God's own heart. They are pursuing God. They are not content with the way they look. Godly Christians know that God is the greatest good. And therefore they are pursuing God with all that they have. They are seeking to be like God. And we say that they desire to be like God because they love God. You know the way people give their testimonies. My name is so and so and I love Jesus. <laughs> but then you consider the life of the person who says they love Jesus and you see a, com- a complete a completely different uh, uh, different character from that which should be of the person who claims to love Jesus the godly christian seeks to be like god because he or she loves god and he loves god because god first loved him because god has displayed his love upon him therefore the godly christian loves god in in return and their love for God propels them to seek to be like Him. Now, that automatically grants that those who are ungodly do not love God. Or to be more precise, they do not know the love of God. Yes, what else did you say um, is, is a characteristic of uh, a godly Christian? Yes. Yes, we did say that, but we didn't. Uh, we didn't get there. We will be there today. Sorry. Uh, they believe in Christ, but more precisely, they seek to treasure the Son of God. They do believe in Christ. <clears throat> it's one thing to believe that Christ is the Son of God. It's another thing to treasure Him. They hold him as the most precious. Hmm? We give the example of uh, 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 Jesus when he's uh, telling the uh, telling the Jews that they have come to seek him, not because they want him so much, but because they they were fed the bread in John chapter six. We say that if we treasure the Son of God. 
We cannot live without Him. If we treasure the Son of God, we prefer Him before all other things. If we treasure the Son of God, we will part with our dearest pleasures of sin. He said that if we, if we treasure the Son of God, we will endure as much struggle as needs be for us to be godly, for us to be with Him, to be where He is. He said that if we treasure the Son of God, we will be willing to help others to see Him, to know Him. So the godly Christian treasures the Son of God. They're like that man who has discovered a land that has treasure. They've gone, they've sold everything that they have so that they may buy that piece of land, that they may have Jesus. That's the point that Christ is, is saying. They realize that Christ, in Christ, are all treasures of wisdom. That in Christ, all, all things that they would need would be in Him. Therefore, they treasure Him above all other things. And then what, what did we say was uh, another characteristic? Godly Christians have the Spirit of God. And this is absolutely necessary. One of the ways that we know that we are Christians is we have the Spirit of God. We, the Spirit bears witness, witness with our spirits that we are sons of God. Now we say that the Spirit of God helps us to overcome temptation. He helps us to pray. He helps us to benefit from the ordinances. And he helps us to bear fruit. The godly Christian is so because the Spirit of God is producing in him that fruit of the Spirit. Helping him to pray, helping him to, to seek after God even. Helping him to bear fruit. Helping him to overcome temptations. This is what we should be desiring as, as believers. Now today, I'd like us to consider some three things, some three more characteristics of godly Christians. Number one, godly Christians love the word of God. Godly Christians love the word of God. Number two, godly Christians love to commune with God. Godly Christians love to commune with God. And, and then number three, godly Christians love the people of God. God, the Christians love the people God. Let's begin with the first one there. Godly Christians love the word of God. And just last, like last week, I'd like to begin by asking you a question. Do you love the word of God? You could ask yourself that question. <clears throat> what makes you know that you love the word of God? Because godly Christians love the word of God. Go with me to Psalm 119, verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97.
The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Look at verse 113. I hate the double-minded, the psalmist says, but I love your law. Look at verse 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Look at verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Look at verse 167. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Godly Christians love the word of God. Let me, let me read for you some, some lines here from the, the grace hymns that we so love. Lamp of our feet whereby we trace our path when wont to stray. Streams from the fount of uh, heavenly grace brook by the traveler's way. Bread of our souls whereon we feed, true manna from on high. Our guide and chart wherein we read of realms beyond the sky. Word of the everlasting God, will of his glorious Son. Without thee, how could earth be trod, or heaven itself be won? And this is, this is a hymn writer who understands the worth of the word of God and therefore loves the word of God. Listen to the last stanza. Lord, grant that we aright may learn the wisdom it imparts and to its heavenly teaching turn with simple childlike hearts. This is a man that understands that godly Christians love the word of God. Listen to 347. Thy word is like a garden, Lord, with flowers bright and fair. And everyone who seeks may pluck a lovely garland there. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine. And jewels rich and rare are hidden in its mighty depths for every such a there. Oh, may I love thy precious word. May I explore the mine. May, may I its fragrant flowers glean. May light upon me shine. The godly Christian loves the word of God. Godly Christian knows that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Godly Christian knows that the word of God is a mirror that helps him to know who he is and therefore enabling him to change accordingly. And because that mirror, I mean, you ladies know what I'm talking about. You love the mirror. Because the mirror, when you go there, it's able to show you where you have spots. Whether you are okay to leave the house or not. The godly Christian realizes, knows that the word is like a mirror that helps them to know who they are. What kind of person they, they are. The extent of sin in their hearts and 
in their hearts and in their minds that they may turn from it. And thus then they love the word of God. A godly Christian knows that the word of God reveals the will of God to them. And thus then they love the word of God. A godly Christian knows that the word of God comforts God's people when they are suffering. And thus then when they are reminded that all things work together for good when they are suffering, their response is not, you are insensitive. Because they love the word of God. Look at verse 92 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Listen to those words. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The psalmist is saying that afflictions have, have come to him. He has gone through suffering. But what has kept him from perishing through the suffering, through the affliction, is his love. For the love for the word of God is delight for the law of God. The godly Christian knows that the word of God regulates us when we prosper. It's not only that it comforts us when we suffer, but when we are prospering, the word of God is 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 is, is the one that regulates. Go to first Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy six seventeen through to nineteen. First Timothy six seventeen to nineteen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I mean, how would rich people know how to carry themselves if they never love the word of God? So that the word of God, while warning us against riches, tells us that the rich man is kept from the deceitfulness of riches by loving the word of God. It therefore follows that the godly Christian loves the word of God. He loves the word of God because it comforts them when they are suffering. He loves the word of God because it regulates them when they are prospering. When they are going, when they're, when they're going on enjoying in this life. A godly Christian loves that the word of God has power to change him. You see, those who are Christians know that there's something wrong with their system. There's something wrong within their heart. And that's why they have come to Jesus Christ and been redeemed. And then you see, the thing that continues to change us is the word of God. Last then Jesus Christ is able to say, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's the word of God that sanctifies us, changes us. The godly Christian knows that the word of God changes them, renews them. That the way the Spirit of God renews them 
the way the Spirit of God progressively sanctifies them is through the influence of the Word of God. I mean, that's then you see how not, not enjoying, not loving the Word of God, not reading the Word of God grants ungodliness. It grants ungodliness. Because if the godly Christian wants to be more like God, what better way than to go to the sanctifying tool? The Word of God itself. That's the godly Christian loves the Word of God. See, this, this is the basis upon which we, we tell believers to read the Word of God, to memorize the Word of God, to meditate upon the Word of God. Because it grants godliness. It grants that you understand that you are sick, that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick, sick and only God knows it. Isn't that what Jeremiah tells us? Who can search the heart other than God? Because the Christian knows this, the godly one loves the word of God that searches the heart. Sami says, search me, O God. Try my heart. See if there is something that is evil and remove it. The only way that happens is through the word of God. The word of God searches the hearts of men because it is living and active. Therefore, the godly Christian Loves that the word of God has power to change him. If you are a Christian here, if you are godly even, you must love the fact that God has spoken and that it has been written for us. If it were not for the scriptures being preserved throughout the ages, there would be no church. Because the sovereign God has sovereignly ordained that the way his church would be preserved would be by giving them a special revelation of himself through his word. Godly Christian loves that the word of God threatens him as well as promises him. I mean, it's, it's, it's only on, uh, on Friday that we were considering the last paragraph of the confession. We saw there that the day of judgment that the word of God grants keeps us from sin. It threatens us. God in his word grants threatenings and promises. God the Christian knows this. He goes to the word. He loves the word. Because, because he knows that God has given it to him for his good. The godly Christian loves that the word of God guides him. That the word of God grants the leading of the spirit. Now, we have time and time again said that we do not go to the mountains to be led by the Spirit of God. The way we are led by the Spirit of God is by indulging in the Word of God, by filling ourselves with the Word of God, because it's through the Word of God that the people of God are led by the Spirit of God. No other way. A godly Christian, therefore, loves the Word of God. Perhaps I should ask you the question there. Hmm? Million dollar question. Do you love the word of God? Are you sure that you love the word of God? In the way that you consider it. You have a Monday morning like tomorrow. You will wake up to do your businesses. What priority has the word of God in the activities of your day? Do you love the word of God, brethren? It's one thing to know that Christians should read the word of God. It's another thing for a believer to love 
the word of God. They do not need to be told to read it. They love it. They want it. You know that you're godly when you read the word of God and when you love to hear it preached. You know that you're godly when you read, when you love to read it and when you love to hear it preached. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures. How many times? When? Daily. Daily to see if the things, if these things were so. Know that you're godly when you love to read the word of God, when you love to examine the word of God like the Bereans there. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of God dwell in you richly. That you may be able to address one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Do you love to read the word of God? Do you love to hear the word of God preached? Godly Christians love the word of God. You know that you are godly when there is a willingness to memorize the word of God and hide it in your heart. Again, Colossians 3.16 Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Psalm 119 Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A godly Christian has a willingness to memorize the word of God. That they may keep it in their heart. That they may store it up. That they may not sin against God. You know that you're godly when you meditate on the word of God. We've just recently considered Christian meditation. Do you memorize the word of God? The one verse that we give you per week or a few verses are just but the tip of the iceberg. They're just, they're just so, that, so that they may spy you up into memorizing scripture as much as you can. Do you meditate upon the word of God? One of the reasons why we ask you questions during uh, this Sunday school classes for the previous class is because we hope that you have, been, you have been meditating upon that which you heard from God's word. You know that you're godly when you meditate on the word of God, when you hide it in your heart. You know that you are godly when you delight in the word. Myriads of passages here. Let me read for you some of them. 
Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Because he delights in the law of the Lord, he meditates upon it. Psalm 12. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 19. Verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, 46 of Psalm 19. I will also speak of your testimony before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments which I love. Verse 111. Of Psalm 119. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15. Verse, verse, verse 15. Jeremiah 15. Verse 15, O oh Lord, you know, uh, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found. Verse 16, and I ate them and your words became to me a joy. And the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Listen to, listen to those words there. Verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. You see there that you know that you're godly when you delight in the word of God when you meditate upon it when there is willingness to memorize it when you love to read it when you love to hear it preached you know that you are godly when you are conformed to this word that you read memorize and meditate upon you know that you are godly not only for the things that have been said before, but now that you are conformed to this word that you read, this word that you hear preached, this word that you memorize, this word that you meditate upon, this word that you delight in, you know that you're a godly Christian when you're conformed to it. You know that you're godly when your heart burns with desire to talk about the word of God. Our Lord tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know that you're godly when that which comes from your mouth is the word of God. That you love it. That it shows that you love it. 
you know that you are godly when you are willing to defend the word of God. Let me give you one text here. Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They were slain for the word of God. They were defending the word of God. They were bearing witness to the word of God. You know that you're godly when, you, when you're willing to die for that which is true, that which is right, that is granted only by the word of God. You know that you're godly when the word of God is more precious than all other things. You know Psalm 19? You can read the entirety of Psalm uh, 119 also. The word of God ought to be more precious to us than anything else. Spurgeon said this, quote, When asked, what is more important? Prayer or reading the Bible? I ask, what is more important? Breathing in or breathing out? End quote. And with that, then we transition to the second point. Godly Christians love to commune with God. So, so what Spurgeon is saying is that the reading of the scriptures and prayer are like breathing in and out. The godly Christian cannot live without them. Godly Christian loves the word of God. Number two, godly Christians love to commune with God. What I mean here is that godly Christians love to pray. Godly Christians love to pray. They love to commune with their God. A godly Christian cannot live without praying. My friends, you, you can't live without praying and believe that you're godly. You are not godly if you live without praying. Or to put it different, differently, you are ungodly if you live without praying. Let those words rest, rest in your hearts a bit. The godly Christian cannot live without praying. That is to say, you are ungodly if you do not pray. I've not even said that you pray daily. I've not even got to that point. No, not yet. We will get there. But if your life is characterized by prayerlessness, you are ungodly. If you claim to be a Christian. Godly Christian cannot live without praying. He cannot live without prayer. Thomas Watson, my favorite, says here, quote, A man cannot live unless he takes his breath. Nor can the soul, unless it breathes forth its desires to God. As soon as the babe of grace is born, it cries. No sooner was Paul converted than, behold, he prays. Acts chapter 19 verse 11. Chapter 9 verse 11. No doubt he prayed before, being a Pharisee, but it was either superficially or 
superstitiously. But when the work of grace had been done in his soul, behold, now he prays. My friends, a godly Christian prays every day. A godly Christian prays every day. He prays when he wakes up. He prays when he, when he does his duties. Or as he's doing his duties. He prays when he's eating. He prays when he's faced with all sorts of things. He prays for his family. He prays when he goes to bed. Godly husbands pray for their wives. Godly wives pray for their husbands. Godly children pray for their parents. Godly parents pray for their children. Godly employers pray for their employees. Godly employees pray for their employers. A godly Christian prays and prays and prays. A godly Christian cannot have a day pass without him spending time in prayer. It is the godly Christian who understands what it means to pray without ceasing. A godly Christian knows that life cannot be navigated without God's help. How can we navigate this life without the word of God and communion with God? How? How can we know how to live in God's word, world without God's word? How can we know how to navigate through life's issues, my friends, without asking God for help? Godly Christian knows this. A godly Christian knows that God has ordained that his promises be unlocked by the key of prayer. A godly Christian loves to commune with God, my friends. He loves to commune with God. The opposite is true. An ungodly Christian does not love to commune with God. Now, hypocrisy may pray. Hypocritical person may pray. But he does not pray aright. He does not pray in the spirit. It then follows that if godly Christians love to commune with God, those who pray occasionally are not godly. Those that do not pray at all are not godly. Listen to this. That hypocrisy may pray but it's not praying right and it's not praying in the spirit it then follows that if godly Christians love to commune with God those who pray occasionally are not godly and those who, those who, those who do not at all pray they are not godly Hypocritical prayers are done occasionally. Here and there. I pray today, I stay for five days, I pray again. I stay for two days, I pray again. I pray however I please. That is hypocritical prayer life. Or I, I do not pray at all. A week passes, two weeks passes, uh, they pass. Time passes, generally. That's not godliness. 
Let's consider one more text before we look at the final point. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. You know the famous story of Daniel? He's thrown into the den of lions by these envious men. Uh, The king grants an edict that uh, men should not pray. But Daniel says that um, he's going to pray for is going to pray to his God. Look at Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, let's, let's read from verse 6. And these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. I hope you, you, you're able to follow now from verse 10. Yeah, these men who've come to the king, they want people to pray to no other god, no other man other than King Darius. And they grant the king a, a document. They persuade him. Or even more precisely, it's as though they deceive him. It's as though the king is not knowing what is happening. And this, this is granted us later on. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, when you read this text, it's as though, it's as though Daniel does this deliberately. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, it's as though he goes to pray so that he may prove to these people that he is, he is committed, he is loyal to his God, that he is godly. And you understand the sense of the way I'm using that word there, that he is godlike, that he is not, he, he is not. Um, What's the word there? He's not intimidated by men. And it's as though he's saying, you have signed your documents wherever you've signed them. I'm going to continue to worship my God. He opens the windows. He bows down to his God and prays. Now notice that he had his windows in his upper chamber opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice that last statement there. As he had done previously, a godly Christian, the godly Christian loves to pray. This this was the practice of Daniel and nothing was going to take him from it. Even the king's sign. The godly Christian, my friends, loves to pray. The pattern that we see here of praying three times is not 
prescriptive. The godly Christian prays without ceasing. You are not to pray three times a day, my friends. You are to pray at all times. That's how godliness is seen in the life of the Christian. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ, the most godly man in the world. How often he prays. And what a brilliant example he leaves us. What a wonderful uh, picture of a prayerful man the Lord grants us. He's ever praying, we're told. He's ever praying. He's, he's ever leaving his disciples and going to the Mount of Prayer. He's ever waking up early in the morning going to pray. When the disciples are sleeping, he is praying. Now, one could well argue that God knows all things. But then prayer is dependence upon God. Lord willing, we, we may do a series on prayer sometime. But let, let it rest in your minds and in your hearts this morning that a godly Christian loves to pray. Where there's no prayer, my friends, do not deceive yourself. There's no godliness. Thirdly, lastly, godly Christians love the people of God. Godly Christians love the people of God. Do you love the people of God? Do you love them? Turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. From verse 1. Ephesians 4. From verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Please notice that statement there. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope. That belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all now you see here a po an appeal for from the apostle paul for believers to be united it says that the way they walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which they have been called is by being humble being gentle, being patient, and this humbleness and gentleness and patience are expressed in the context of the people of God. That's why he says there, then, bearing with one another in love. And then we are told that this is so that they may be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That they may be at peace with one another as Christians, that they may be one, really. Because why? Because there is one body and one spirit. They have one hope. They have, they, they have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. 
they, they are united together by the triune God in this one hope. And the issue uh, of love for the brethren begins here. It begins here uh, uh, in this text. It must begin here. It must begin with the fact that believers have been saved. They have been converted. They have been saved by one Lord, one Spirit, one God. They have one hope. They have one baptism. They have one faith. It must begin there. Believers are united by the blood of the Son of God Himself. Not by the blood of their parents. Believers are united by the blood of the omnipotent. The one who reigns from heaven above. The one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. Believers are united by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of promise. The one who regenerates. The one who seals. The one who guarantees that they will inherit eternal life. Believers have one father. The father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. They have one father. Who is not, who is especially their father. He's not the father of rocks the way he is the father of the Christian. In a special manner, God the Father is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore he is our father because his son saves us. So on that basis, that godly Christians love the people of God. On that basis, Thank you, brother. We must be convinced that we have a stronger bond with the saints than with our blood brothers and sisters. You know, there are Christians who who act as though the, the, their relationship with their siblings is better and stronger than their relationship with the saints. That's not what the Bible grants. In fact, Jesus says that those who are going to follow him, those who will be called his, must hate father and mother. Not that they are to be hostile to them or be at enmity with them, but that their love is reoriented. Their love is changed. Their love is reshaped. They love Jesus Christ and they love all that are his. Because... The bond that the people of God have is stronger because this is blood by birth. This is blood by the new birth. The blood of the Son of God that was shed on Calvary that the hymn writer says shall never lose its power. That God has saved us by the blood of His Son. That this blood is stronger than any other is a fact that can never be changed. That God has sealed us by His Spirit with a seal like no other grants that the seal, the bond that the people of God because uh, that the people of God have because of the Spirit of God is stronger than the bond of family members. Those who hate the saints, my friends, are the most ungodly people in the world. 
They are the most ungodly because saints belong to God. And we say that godliness is a real thing because God exists. And therefore those who hate the people of God hate God. And therefore they are ungodly. You ask, but why? But, but why say that? Because when the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is persecuting the people of God, what does the Lord Jesus appear to him and tell him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His hatred towards the people of God was translated to hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because the people of God belong to God. It therefore follows that those who hate the people of God are the most ungodly people in the world. Now, you don't want to be like that, do you? You don't want to be a person who hates the people of God. Now, you may not hate the, hate the people of God by your mouth or say that you do it, that you hate them. But by your conduct, you may show that you do not love them. Right? In the way you relate with them, the way you uh, come for fellowships, your conduct may show that you are not so much in love with the people of God. I mean, you can live without church. But that's not godliness, my friends. Godly Christians love the people of God. They cannot imagine not being with the people of God. If God has loved these people, you must be the most ungodly, the most ungodlike to hate the people that he has loved. Let's consider one text here. Psalm. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will, say, will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those who hate the people of God, whom God loves, will be condemned. You know that you're godly, when you love the people of God, my brethren. When you're willing to give your life for the people of God. When you love and serve the people of God. I mean, you will live with the people of God for all eternity. What better way to express that this is true than to love them here and now. Than to give your life for their service here and now. And to relate with them in a special way here and now. When we love those whom God loves, then we become like Him. Because He loves them. Listen to what Jesus tells His disciples in John chapter 13. John 13, 35. 31. John 13, 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I say to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, it can't get any clearer. Godly Christians are those who love the people of God. Because they show that they have the love of God. This same author, John, in the book of 1 John, argues the same. We must love the people of God if you're going to claim to be godly people. Godly Christians love the people of God. You should delight in and you should devote yourself to the company of God's people. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 63. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. This is the psalmist saying that he is the companion of those who fear God. He loves them. He keeps friendship with them. He delights in them. He has companionship with them. This is a text that is not foreign to us. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves to it fully and completely. Because they were saved by the same gospel, the same Lord. Let me make some closing remarks. You should genuinely and truly love the people of God. It must not be a face that you put on. You must be convinced that these are the people whom God has saved. And those, and those that God has, has, has saved, you must be willing to say, I will love them. I love them. My friends, we don't come to church simply because God says go to church. No, it's, it's more than that. It's that we pursue after godliness. We know that God has saved the people for himself and we want to be with them where they are. Because where the people of God are, their God is. Away with the, the idea that the church is your heart. The church is the people of God. And God is where his people is. God is especially where his people is. God may be everywhere. He may be with you at home when you refuse to come to church. But he will be with you at home in judgment. Not, not especially because you are his. He will be with you at home in discipline. To discipline. When you refuse to fellowship, to come, to love the people of God. The question for you should not be, must I be there for the tip lot? Hmm? I'm now becoming uh, very, very practical. Eh? The question should not be, must I be there for the tip lot? 
Is it a must that I be there? Must I be there for the men's or women's breakfast? Really, the question should be, why not be there for the cheap lot? What's keeping me from being there? Or what better place would I rather be than with the people of God? When you apply for membership and we tell you that you must be committed, this is it. This is, this is why. Because godly Christians love the people of God. They love the people of God. You see signs of ungodliness where there's, where there's an unwillingness to be with God's people. Where there's an unwillingness to love and serve God's people. There you have ungodliness rather than godliness. You see, God saved his people so that we may be with them eternally. God saved his people so that he may be with them eternally. Who then are we not to want to be with the people of God? Godly Christians, therefore, love the people of God. Are there any questions or comments? I'd like to end it there. Questions or comments? There are very, very heart-searching things, these that we are considering. Next week, I hope to bring a few more, two or three, and then we will conclude with a reproof or a rebuke for those who only pretend to be godly. And I'm hoping that this, these things will, will help you get on your knees and, and ask God to make you godly. Ask God to grant you godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have saved us by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And having saved us by him, you... You... You call us to seek to be like Him. Him who is both God and man. And these things that we're considering, Lord, are very heart-searching. They continue to get, to get to us. We continue to see how we fall short of Your standards. Yet because You have freely saved us by Your grace in Christ, Oh, how we are motivated to seek after godliness. Because you, are sa- you have saved us by your son, you have promised that your divine power grants all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this is the desire of our hearts. May you make us godly people. Make us godly Christians. May godliness shine forth from us in such a manner that you would be glorified. It's not so much that people may see, that when people see it, they may glorify you. Oh Lord, our God, make us like you. Conform us into the image and likeness of your Son. And may you glorify yourself in doing so. Bless us to uh, bless our souls the things that we have considered. 
These things we pray in Jesus' name.